0: As we've gone through the first three psalms in this series, and we're doing about, I think, 13 or so psalms, and as we've went through the first three, there are some themes that have jumped out, Psalm 8, Psalm 138, and today in Psalm 27 that we just read. If you're a note taker, you have one of our worship guides, if you'll pull that out on the left hand side, there is a prayer guide that you can use, I pray that you will, to actually pray through these psalms on your own. would love if you would take that prayer guide, and this week, pray through Psalm 27. On the right-hand side is a preaching guide, and I want us to talk about these themes that we have seen in the first three psalms so far in this series. These streams, if you will, that flow through each one of these psalms that I think are very important for us to... To see that, I think, ties all of these together. First and foremost, number one, we've seen the theme of the glory of God. The glory of God. In Psalm 8, we see His glory in His creation, the psalmist says. The heavens, the moons, the stars, the works of His hands. When we really ponder what God has made, when we really ponder what He has created, we see His glory. We see His vastness, we see His greatness in all that He has made. In Psalm 138, we see the glory of God in His steadfast love for us, in His faithfulness to us, that He has given us words from His mouth. He has exalted His word above all things. We see the authority of God. So we see the glory of God in all that He has made, and now we see the glory of God in His authority over all that He has made. And in today's psalm, what we're going to see is the glory of God in His nearness to His people. This God who has made everything. This God who has shown that He has authority over all things. He loves and He cares for us and He is available to us. And all of that points us to His glory. If He was an authority authority over all things, if God's greatness existed but He gave us no access to Him, what good would that be to us to know just of Him in a far-off sense, to not really be able to get to know Him? God's glory is that in His greatness He looks for those who will humble themselves And He makes Himself available to them. That is the glory of God. So we've seen that theme. And then, in each one of these psalms, we have seen the response of God's people. Godly people respond to God's glory. It's so important for us to understand. Godless people really do not care about the glory of God. They don't care about His authority they don't care about His greatness. They don't care about His love and faithfulness. They don't care about His availability to them. They simply don't care. But the godly do. The godly respond to God and His glory. In Psalm 8, we see that they marvel that God in His greatness is mindful of them and cares for them. They are in all of that. They don't take it for granted. They are are awed by the fact that God, who made everything and is holding everything together, He is mindful of me and He cares for me. In Psalm 138, we see that the people of God give thanks to Him with their whole heart in response to His glory. That they sing and they bow down. They are thankful to God. They see His glory and they are thankful that He loves them and that He is faithful to them. They come and they offer thanksgiving to Him as a sacrifice. And today what we're going to see in in Psalm 27 is that people respond to God, the godly respond to Him by saying, I will seek your face. You have said to me, God, seek my face. I say to you, yes, I will. You have given me that invitation. I take it. Godly people respond to God's glory. We've seen that theme in these first three Psalms. We've seen the theme of the power of prayer and praise. The power of prayer and praise. In Psalm 8... We saw how it says that God has established the strength, a strength for his people, the strength for his people. And that we can see this strength even looking at babies and infants and how they instinctively cry out for help from their caretakers, those who they trust, that see about them, and they cry out in praise. Of those same caretakers. And God says, this is how my people are. They cry out to me for help. They praise me. And that is their strength. They're not strong in the eyes of the world. They're not strong in their, their physical and military might. He's not building up a worldly kingdom. He's building up the kingdom of His Son, Jesus And the weapons of our warfare are prayer and praise. We battle with prayer and praise. That's what I said in the middle of the service today. If you are in the midst of a trial and you can feel and hear that attack coming, you feel the pull. You hear the words in your mind, does God care for me? Does God see me? Battle with prayer and praise. Battle thanking Him for His goodness. We're not simply calling you to an empty rhetoric. If you know God, you know how good He is. You know how good He has been. Praise Him pray and ask for His help. That is the strength of God's people. It is power for us as a church. We've seen that in your notes, especially we see this power of prayer and praise when the community is gathered for worship. And I said this to you last week, I, I don't mean we only do this when we come together. I, I don't believe that. I believe that at all times, those of us who are Christ followers, we should put ourselves in a position of strength, by every day, praying and praising God. But there is something, there is something special God does in bringing His people together. He has done it from the beginning of His Word. Throughout Scripture, you see God gathers His people. He gathers them for worship. You get to the New Testament, He calls us a body. Individual, unique, Parts yet all brought together in a whole body. When a part is missing or a part is not healthy, it impacts the whole body. The people of God throughout time have gathered for His worship. And it has been their priority and it has been their joy. And we are headed to a place to where for all of eternity, the people of God will be gathered together enjoy. So we don't cease in the midst of that. The people of God make it their joyful priority to be together, to pray, to praise, to honor Him. And we see that. We saw it in Psalm 138, one. this whole picture of giving thanks to God with my whole heart. And we tied that to Psalm 111, where David very clearly, or the psalmist very clearly says, I give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the congregation. I want to do this among the saints, the people of God. In Psalm 27 today, we're going to see how David says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. And certainly he is saying there that he wants to be in God's presence. But when we have now this picture of all of the Old Testament that we see through the lens of the New Testament, through the lens of Jesus, we get to Hebrews chapter 3, and it definitively says the house of God is the people of God. The house of God, it's God's people gathered together, and Jesus is faithful over that house. So when we look at Psalm 27:4 in a New Testament lens that it is our desire to dwell in the house of the Lord, it means certainly to be together in the household of God. Not a building, but a people led by their father and their Good brother, Jesus, their Lord, gathered together as a body, worshiping Him and praising Him and receiving strength from that. God strengthens us when we're together. So we've seen this. The glory of God, the response of God's people to His glory, the power that God has given us in prayer and praise, especially when we come together, especially when we're gathered together. And all of this is very All this is very born-again type language because the things that we're talking about are foolish to natural men. We've already said they're blind to God's glory or don't care about it. They don't respond to Him. But the idea of strength being weakness is foolish to the natural man. The idea of you are strong... You are the strongest when you are weak. That is an idea that is foolish to men. But it is, it is a truth in the kingdom of God that when we are weak and we pray and we praise, we are really strong. And in coming together, we experience that strength. That is a... That is also something that is foolish to men, especially where we live today, because as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we're so ingrained to be individuals, individualistic people, and to kind of make it on our own. That's, that's how we think, really, in, in this part of the world, in this country. So the idea of we need each other and gathering together, it's something that we have to train ourselves to believe. Because it is really in us. It's even in us among families of faith. Just being honest, it's the more that we see the world getting dark, the more we see the world filled with trouble, we have that kind of, let me pull back and just kind of build my walls up and just kind of keep me and my family over here, away from everything and everybody. And The Bible says, no, the more you see the day coming closer, the more you should gather the more you should be together. So these themes are definitely counter to our physical nature, but they are in line with our spiritual born-again life. The last theme that we have seen is the help of God for His children. We've seen this in every psalm so far in this series. God helps His children. In in Psalm 8.8, The psalmist says that we are crowned with glory and honor. That God is mindful of us and He cares for us and He has crowned us with glory and honor. It's an amazing passage. We are made in His image. We are being remade as believers into the image of Jesus. For a little while we've been made lower than the angels. But God has worked so that we are the very temple of God and His presence is in His people. That is our crown, that is our glory, that is our honor. Whatever you can accomplish in this life, whatever you could seek to have, whatever titles or initials by your name are career choices or claims to fame in athletic events, whatever it is that you could look at and say, I really want that to be the the glory and the honor of my life. I really want that to be the crown that I get. None of it, none of it can compare to the crown that is being made in the likeness of Jesus. None of it. And we have to train ourselves in the Spirit to believe that. Because we're so inclined to chase after those natural crowns, those worldly crowns. And I'm not even saying that we shouldn't look to them, but I'm saying they are nothing in comparison to Jesus. That is our honor. And He has crowned us with that glory. He helps us that way. And... We saw in Psalm 138 how when we call out to Him, He strengthens our soul and He preserves our life and He delivers us from enemies and He fulfills His purpose for us. This God that is above all things, this God that has created all things, He truly has a purpose for your life. I know that in some evangelical circles that became such a such a catchphrase that I think some people kind of stopped listening to it because they, they, they felt like it was being sold as a bill of goods. And I get that, but the Bible's pretty clear on it. God has created you. In Ephesians it says that you are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to walk in good works that He planned beforehand, before your life. Before you existed on the earth, God had already purposed for certain good works that you would walk in. And if God has purposed those things, He will fulfill those things. So you look to them. You look to Him to do that. You have hope in this life because He has a purpose for you. Spend time, spend energy seeking after His purpose. Don't set that aside to chase after your own. Maybe, maybe the thing that you are chasing after and enthralled with, maybe that is God's purpose for you and He will confirm that. But you may find in that journey that He starts letting that thing that you thought was going to to be the hope of your life and the purpose of your life, it may fall away and you may find the brand new purpose that God has for you. But the help that He has promised is He will fulfill it. So we look to Him. And the life truth that I have for us today, what I really want us to know in thinking about the help that God gives His children, is that the more that your eyes are open to God's help for you, the more you will long for Him. The more that your eyes see the help that God has given you and is giving you right now, the more you will long for Him. Look at verse 9 in Psalm 27. This one line I highlighted in your notes this stood out to me all week. Oh, you who have been my help. Oh, God. Who has been my help. Only the godly say that. But even among the godly, our eyes get obscured. Our vision we are so inclined to think that we're helping ourselves we are so inclined to give the glory and the honor to other people who have helped us to the family that we were brought up in to the parents that raised us to the person who who gave us practical help and funded certain things for us we're so inclined to say, well, that person helped me or I was raised in a good family or I've helped myself. I've risen above where I, you know, what I came out of and, and I, I've brought myself to this spot. We're so inclined to miss that in every part of our life, God has been our help. And yes, He uses people. Absolutely. But it was always His Spirit, either in those people or working from those people in some way to be your help. God has been your help your whole life. If you're a believer, He didn't start being your help when you prayed a prayer to be saved. He was already helping you to bring you to that point of faith. And when you become a believer and you mature in your faith, you start looking back on your life, and you start going, oh, it's always been God. It's always been Him. He's always been the one helping me. And the the more your eyes are open to that, the more your eyes see that it is God every day that is helping you, the more you will long for Him. The more. Look at, look at what surrounds that phrase in verse 9. The middle of the verse is, oh you have been, who have been my help. But what precedes it and follows it, hide not your face from me. Why? Why is the psalmist saying, Don't hide your face from me? Because he realizes God's His help. Don't turn your servant away in anger. Why does he make that prayer? Because he sees, God has been my help. Look at what comes after it. Cast me not off. Forsake me not. Don't, God, don't ever let this change. You've always been my help. Don't ever let that change, God. Don't move from me. Don't let me move from you. Because you are the help of my life. Oh God of my salvation. The more you mature, the more you look and you go, it's always been Him. Right now, if you don't know Christ, right now, if you don't know if you believe any of this, this idea that God is your help, I would say to you, you're sitting here right now hearing this because He is your help. And if you will come to Christ, if you will confess your sins, and if you will turn to Jesus and just say, I don't know what all this is going to mean, but I i don't know what all this is going to cost me, but I believe that every other pathway I've tried has failed. And I believe that you will be my help then not only will He embrace you and save you, but He will begin to open your eyes and you will see that your whole life He has been your help from the very beginning. And you will long for Him more. We, I, I say this to us a lot, but I just think it's so important because in the world, the idea of maturity is becoming independent. My kids are growing up. They don't don't need as much anymore. They're maturing. How do you know? Because they're independent now. In the kingdom of God, maturity is becoming dependent on Him. More and more. The world will say that's weakness. The world will say you use your religion as a crutch. But we don't follow what the world says. God says in His kingdom the strong, the mature, they are dependent on Him more and more and more and more their eyes are open. It is God who is my help. If I gave and helped somebody, it's because God is my help. I woke up this morning because God is my help. I understood and read His Word because God is my help. I didn't return Anger for anger, because God is my help. I returned anger for anger, but I am forgiven because God is my help. In every thread of your life, you see God as your help. Look at a few things from Psalm 27 in your notes. Three parts of the psalm that I want to call out to you. That's very clear about how God is the help of His people. First, God calls you to pray. Personal interaction with Him. And in that other blank, in the parentheses, you can write dwelling in relationship. God calls you to personal interaction. Dwelling in relationship with Him. Really what should be there, and you can write this in your notes, it's the word intimacy. That is what God is calling you to. Psalm 27, verse... Eight the Psalmist said, God, you have said to me, Seek my face, so this is God's call to us. Seek my face. That is a call to an intimate type relationship, personal interaction with God. Can you talk to God? Yes, will God talk to you? Yes, can you only believe that in faith? Yes. You say, well, I haven't, I, I think I have faith. I haven't experienced that yet. You have joy coming. Keep pursuing. He speaks. He is not just a far off God. He says to you, Seek my face. Seek to be with me face to face. What does that look like? Just think of just the, the small human vernacular. Of what we know that means, like if you say to someone, I want to meet with you face to face, what does it mean? I want to be near you personally. I want to interact with you in a personal way. I don't want it to be impersonal. I don't want to do text. I don't want to do email. I don't want to even do a phone call. I want to be with you face to face. I want to talk with you face to face. I want to spend time with you face to face. And God of the universe says that to you. It is an invitation. Come seek my face. He offers you His nearness to dwell with Him. And we see this so perfectly and completely in the life of Jesus because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is God in the flesh who stepped into His creation. We're about to celebrate that in Advent. We're going to stay in the psalm series during Advent, but we can already see how the psalms point us to Jesus. Because the way in which you and I seek the face of God is by seeking Jesus. In John 15, I just want to read this to you. Just If you want to read along, you can, but just listen to what Jesus said to you, to those of you who are His followers. This is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. And then He, he goes on to explain what kind of love that is. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay his life down for his friends. Now listen, this is God speaking to you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, He may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Some in Christendom will take this verse and they completely remove the lordship of Christ and and they they present the relationship that you have with God as just a, a friend and in doing so they they've missed that Jesus said if you first make me lord if you first acknowledge me as the lord of your life i call you my friend but then others in Christendom would completely remove the idea of friendship and 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 in our desire to remind everyone that god is holy and righteous which he is we forget that god has said i want to know you excuse me i want you to know me personally, as a friend. You're not just my servant, because if you have a servant, you don't tell them what's happening in your life, in your kingdom. I share with you everything. God, God will confide with you. God will reveal to you what He's doing in your life, what He's doing in the world. God will share with you as one friend shares with another. That is the personal interaction that He has called you to. Don't lose the lordship of Jesus. Do as He has commanded. But where that lordship leads you is friendship with God. So, in response, church, in your notes, orient your whole life toward Jesus. Keep that in mind and and point your whole life to Jesus. That's what the psalmist says in verse 4 in Psalm 27. He starts in, it's in verse 8, he he communicates it this way, You have said, seek my face, so my heart says to you, Lord, your face do I seek. The psalmist doesn't say it back to him, by the way. Lord, you say to me, seek my face, so I say to you, okay, well, you seek my face. God knows everything there is to know about us. He says, yes, my response to you, God, is I will seek your face. And then look at how he puts it in verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord. Now that doesn't mean that this is the only thing David has ever asked, because we have plenty of Psalms where David is praying. It also doesn't mean this one thing that I have asked of the Lord, this is the one thing I anticipate that he will answer. This one thing, I believe, is David saying, this is the primary thing I want for my life. This is the one thing above all else that I have asked of the Lord. Of all the things that I have asked Him for, this is the one above them all. And this is the one that I will seek after. Lord, let me dwell in Your house all the days of my life. God, I want to be with You every day. I want to be with your people. I want to experience personal interaction with you. I seek your face. I want to be with you. And church, check yourself. Is that our heart? Is that our desire above all things? God Yes, give me health. Yes, God, take care of this problem. Yes, God, let me live to praise You. Yes, God, help us financially. But above everything, God, let me dwell with You all the days of my life. That's the thing I'm going to seek after. To be with You and be with Your people. There is so much stuff that interests us. There are so many things that have our attention and keep our attention. Does this have our attention? Does this keep our attention? To dwell with God forever. It's His invitation to us. The God of the universe has invited us. So orient your whole life toward Jesus. Also, know God is faithful when no one else is. God is faithful when no one else is. Verse 10, David says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in some of us know exactly what that's like to be forsaken by someone close to us or parents some of us have no idea what that's like but we've been forsaken by someone people have left us let us down people have betrayed us people that are very close to us we've lost people that we care about and sometimes If we're not careful, that will mold how we view God. But what is very clear in Scripture is that when other people are faithless, God is faithful. God takes us in. And in 2 Timothy, by the way, it tells us even when we're the faithless one, God is still faithful. So how do we respond to that? Seek to be like Jesus. Seek to be like Him. First, believe God is faithful. Preach that to yourself. When other people betray you, when other people hurt you, look to God as your stronghold. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. He will not turn from you. He is faithful when no one else is. And then, as you seek to be with Him, as you dwell with Him, seek to be like Him. Seek To be faithful the way He is. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says that we are stewards and it is required of stewards to be faithful. Be the faithful one. Be the faithful follower of Jesus. Be the faithful friend. Be the faithful father and mother. Be the faithful spouse. Be the faithful worker. Show them Jesus Show them faithfulness in a world that is no longer faithful or a world that is only faithful until it costs them something. Show them Jesus that is faithful even when it requires sacrifice. Be faithful by preaching the gospel to others and be faithful by taking in people who don't have anyone else. Care for the lowly. Care for those who have been forsaken. Open up your home. Take them in. Take in and care for widows. Take in and care for orphans. Be like Jesus. I haven't talked about this in a while, but I want to remind you, this church, we have an established fund that we do not touch, and it exists and has existed for several years for one purpose, when God speaks to a family in this church and says, I want you to do for someone else what I have done for you, and bring in someone who is fatherless, and adopt them. And we have money in reserve ready to support that family. We are waiting on God to give that message to the heart of a family in this church in His timing. He's done it before. I believe He will do it again. Be like Jesus. It's costly and it's scary. Be like Jesus. Finally, God protects and teaches you in war. God protects and teaches you in war. I don't mean just physical war, although you can apply that. I think David was certainly thinking in this psalm about physical battles and trials, but if you really look at your life, so many days it seems like a war. And the more you desire to be like God, And pursue him, the more you will feel that there is a war. And the promise of the word is God will protect you and teach you in that war. Look at verse 27, excuse me, Psalm 27. Look at the first three verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Is he? Is he the stronghold of your life? Do you run to Him with your fears? Do you run to Him with your worries? If you're like me, if, when you're afraid, you're worried about something, the first thing you do is start planning how to fix it. Is He your stronghold? Do you run to Him? Do you look to Him? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, this is physical threatening, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Why? Because God who has all authority, whose name is above everything in all creation, is mindful of me and cares for me. He has not forgotten me. He is not overlooking me. He cares for me and no one can outrule Him. No one has more authority than Him. So my confidence is in Him. I promise you, church, last week we had an incredible, beautiful day together as a church family. I really believe that. Almost the entire church was here. Almost. We had a beautiful day. And praise and worship and fellowship. And you know what happened this week? battle arose. Listen, we naturalize things way too often. God, excuse me, the enemy opposes when God moves. And we are deceived if we don't see that. As you pursue dwelling with God, the enemy will oppose that. Don't be afraid. Be confident in Him. Pray and praise and keep pursuing. Do not fear because He overrules the enemy. So, preach to yourself, God is good to me. In the midst of every trial that you face, in the midst of every doubt that you have, in the midst of of opposition from the enemy, when you have set your face to follow Christ, when you have set your face to dwell with Him, when you have done that and the opposition arises and the trial comes, preach to yourself, God is good. He is good to me. I trust Him. I am confident in Him. He will not fail me. In Romans 8, we are told, God did not withhold His Son from you. He gave you His Son. I'm going to say it in a way that's going to sound stirring, shocking, so that we don't find ourselves in a complacent place of God loves me and sacrificed His Son for me. God planned the murder of His Son for you. Was it a sin when they murdered Jesus on the cross? Yes. Did God plan it? Yes. How do those things go together? Only in faith. If you try to write it away, you write away your salvation. He planned the murder of his son so that you could live. If he did that, if he did that, will we will he withhold anything good from you? No. That's what the word says. So in the midst of your difficulties, preach to yourself, God is good to me. He has withheld nothing from me. He is not going to withhold anything good from me in the future. I believe that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. On this earth and in the life to come.